Welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I got a minute Again, with your, Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know. If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. You know, tell your own podcast. Yeah. So, who are we talking about today, Matt? Welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast episode. I don't know. What what number episode was this? 18, Dre? 18? 18. Somewhere around there. (laughs) Today we've got JP. How you doing today, Jay? I'm good. A little tired now, but you know. (laughs) Mikey. What are you What's up, up to? How you doing, Mikey? Working, working, and working. Thank Chris, what about you, my friend? How are you two today? Doing good. We're doing good. Great, great. Well, if you guys are wondering why there's a awkward feeling in the air, it's because we <laughs> actually just interviewed today's guests. That's right. We're going to be doing the intros at the end of the episode now to give you guys a little teaser as to what we talked about. We had the great chris milligan of trine day publishing on our podcast it was an honor i want everybody who listens to this show to go to our website and uh, check out all the information we posted about chris milligan uh you can go to trineday.com from there you can check out all the books that he has to offer and uh, while you're there stop at our patreon button hit that patreon button boop hit it and then you go, over, you go over to the tears oh my god tears yeah you can become part of the family for two dollars five dollars six dollars eight dollars sixteen dollars it's not sad tears it's happy tears happy tears and make you your get, own tears and you get rewarded too if you join the patreon i mean i'm about to send out some books to our top three uh, Patreon subscribers Casey Harris and Sylvester Kovarupias, as well as the Fractal Truther. So look forward to getting your uh, My Family Thinks I'm Crazy gift in the mail. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to be a part of the family, sign up on Patreon today. Um, what'd you guys think of this episode with Chris, uh, the conversation with Chris? I thought this episode was deep, very deep. Uh-huh. It yeah. was good. It was good. He's got a lot of uh, a lot of firsthand knowledge regarding a lot of uh, regarding a lot of uh, I guess uh, conspiracy theories. Yeah, and uh, it was just really really insightful to listen to. I think you guys will have a good time. 
Oh, wow. Chris is wishing you a happy episode. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, what did you think of the episode? You almost got flustered at the end when you asked him, a, when I asked you to ask him a question. Yeah, I, I don't like, all my questions, Mark, are not like wrap-up questions. So, you know, I always get flustered when you do that to me. But, you know, I'm I'm good. I improvise. <laughs> well, okay. 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 Here's my dilemma then. If all my questions for that I give you are wrap up questions and that's somehow a problem, what am I, what else am I supposed to do? You don't prepare before the show. You don't, how am I going to, when else am I supposed to give you uh, the opportunity just, to ask a question? It just reminds me of the time I got berated for asking a long winded <laughs> question as a wrap up with Lindsay Foreman. But here's the, all right. Here's the thing. I, when I, from now on, when I say wrap up, we still got time. Okay. That sounds good. But anyways, and, and for those who are interested in checking out Chris Milligan's podcast, all of his episodes are only 30 minutes long. So it's a great podcast to get in short bursts. If you're the type of person who likes a shorter podcast. So yeah, that's part of the reason why I considered making this a shorter episode, but I think it's going to be about the same as the rest of our episodes after mm. the intro and all that. So anyways, folks, enjoy the conversation with uh, Chris Milligan. And thanks for listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Go to www.myfamilythinksimcrazy.com to find everything you need to stay in touch with the family. You know, he was he was in intelligence and he looked at me and he says, you know, uh, they're out to opiate your whole generation. Uh, my dad said it was time to have that talk. And, you know, I just, I says, okay. And we sat down and my dad looked at me and he says, the, the Vietnam War is about drugs. There's these secret societies behind it. He didn't say hello or anything. He just started right off with that. And and he, then he says, and, and communism's all a sham. These same secret societies are behind it all. It's all a big game. I'm thinking, what's dad talking about? And, and so then this little light bulb comes on my head and says, oh, he's having the drug talk with me because I was growing my hair long and you know smoking pot and stuff. So I proceeded to sit up in my chair and, and waiting for my dad to tell me, you know, stop smoking pot. But he doesn't. They, they, they start talking about, they, they, my dad gives me the history of his intelligence career where and he said he went through a couple of alphas is what he told me and then he was in cia and, and he was very soon uh he was branch chief head of all of east asia analysis office i didn't believe my dad you know i mean he, he could have told you know these things and you know uh, who would have who would have believed him you know because i mean he, he told me they were playing out a loose scenario in vietnam and you know it did gotta say your work has been pivotal to where i've gotten back when i was just out of high school i found the book by anthony j sutton america's secret establishment it completely rocked my world you know it, it opened up a whole new avenue of research that wasn't available to me and close to home too because i found it at a bookstore only a block away from the you know skull and bones temple so yeah chris milligan your work is has been quite the uh, you know blessing in my life so what got you going on this whole journey it was my it was my father you know he was he was in intelligence uh you know when i was a a, a kid 
I, I knew he was in the, the CIA. Well, the first week I remember talking about it was in Nashville. I was, uh, oh, eight, eight, nine years old. And we had discussions with my older brother. And I, I later on, I figured that he knew because he had gone to uh, Fairfax High School and some people had talked there. I don't know, because my parents had never talked, talked about it. But, you know, we'd been... I'd been over overseas. I had spoke Dutch and Malay in Indonesia before I, I learned English as, as a little kid. So, you know, there was, there was something going on. And then uh, really the, the first thing I, I heard from my dad was uh, I was coming home one day, we were out in the, well, actually, no, the first thing was he asked me what I thought of the Vietnam war in, uh, Oh, I probably about a junior in high school. And uh, I, I gave him a, a flip answer. I, I said, um, uh, you've got some uh, rice patties and you've got a sack of hand grenades and you go throw the hand grenades and win it for the good guys wearing the white hats, you know. And he said we had to have a talk. And then this was, you know, I graduated in 1967 and I uh, was going to uh, school in uh, college in Portland. And I was, I came home one day and I, my dad looked at me and we were outside in the uh, oh, driveway there. And, and he looked at me and he says, you know, uh, they're out to opiate your whole generation. And this was the first time I'd ever heard the word opiate, but I, I knew what it meant. And, and I, I told my dad, I says, well, you know, I, I don't look for that stuff. I, I don't see it. And remember, Dad, I don't like needles. The nurse had to chase me around to get a tetanus shot in me. Uh, I says, I just, I just smoked some pot. And I'll never forget the way my dad spat back. He says, well, uh, I don't care. Still, you're making money for them. And the way he said them, I, I knew he didn't, he didn't like it. Uh, you know, I, this was, like I say, the late 60s. I was going to school and... Um, after a while, I actually uh, uh, dropped out of school and started a record store and was putting on rock and roll dances and uh, gotten married. And, and then the day before my uh, 20th birthday, I, I went to the folks' house and, and uh, you know, I figured I was, you know, going to have cake and ice cream and stuff, you know. And uh, uh, my dad said it was time to have that talk. And, you know, I just, I says, okay. And, and we went into my, what I called my little brother's room and uh, we sat down and my dad looked at me and he says, the, the Vietnam war is about drugs. There's these secret societies behind it. He didn't say hello or anything. He just started right off with that. I'm thinking, okay. Um, uh, you know, dad's talking about the mafia or something, you know, and, and and he then he says and, and communism's all a sham. These same secret societies are behind it all. It's all a big game, and that didn't make any sense to me. Okay, I mean this was you know like I say, uh, uh, 1969, and and I just uh, I'm thinking what, what's Dad talking about? And and so then this little light bulb comes on my head and says, oh, he's having the drug talk with me because I was. 
growing my hair long and, you know, smoking pot and stuff. So I proceeded to sit up in my chair and, and waiting for my dad to tell me, you know, stop smoking pot. But he doesn't. They, they, they start talking about, they, they, my dad gives me the history of his intelligence career where he started as an 18-year-old kid um, as uh, he was a sophomore in college and he uh, was an exchange student to the University of Shanghai in 1936. And um, he, then he tells me, you know, about um, during the war, uh, well, he, he, he was supposed to go to, to Europe uh, after college um, in 1939. Well, there was a war going on. So he, he got as far as the basement of the Library of Congress where he was working under Archibald McLeish, who was a member of the Order of Skull and Bones. My dad didn't tell me that at that time. And then uh, he said he, he, he started working with, uh, they gave him the Philippines desk and, and um, he started working in the Philippines and then he got drafted and they uh, uh, put him in G2 and, and gave him the shortest training they could to be a medic and, and uh, put him on MacArthur's staff and they wanted him to report on MacArthur and, and Willoughby. And, and then uh, he he got he made MacArthur mad and got uh, uh, kicked up to being head of research and analysis for the invasion of Japan. And then after uh, VJ Day, he got given a special uh, uh, aegis to to do a report on the um, Japanese and their use of, of uh, opium and and other drugs before and and during World War II. And then he came back uh, to DC. And he said he went through a couple of alphas is what he told me. And then he was in CIA and, and he was very soon, uh, he was branch chief head of all of East Asia analysis office, which um, you have like the, uh, 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 you have, uh, no, it's not section. Well, you have, you have three. Oh, you have a, yeah, yeah, well, like one in, in Saigon and then uh, section chief in, in Honolulu and then the branch chief back in, in D.C. And then, you know, I was <laughs> so little I, I don't remember. It was about, a, about when I was about a year and a half old, um, my dad supposedly uh, quit the CIA and started a, a, a company called the Pacific Book Company and of Jakarta in New York. And very soon uh, I was in um, Indonesia as a little kid. And we were there for uh, a little over a year and dad got really sick with uh, dysentery and uh, he had, they went back. And once we went back, uh, he just started doing odd jobs. So all kinds of different things. He had a, a TV show in, in DC for a while. He, uh, was a speech writer. He did uh, uh, research and stuff. And and when they told me in, in 69, what they told me, he said that he was writing, writing the uh, uh, newspaper that the generals and the president that starts the day there in Washington, D.C., was basically the, the president's daily brief. So uh, he'd been writing that. And then all of a sudden in 1956, uh, we were told, I was told that uh, uh, 
he was going to the southeast, going to the far east, and was going to be writing a book about the church in Southeast Asia. And uh, when he came back from that trip, things just uh, things changed. Things uh, really changed really fast. We had been living on this uh, ten-acre uh, uh, farm on a gravel road outside Fairfax, and uh, soon that that farm was up for sale and and we were moving to rochester uh new york and then all of a sudden we didn't move to rochester we moved to another little uh house there in fairfax and uh, uh dad was uh always being a speechwriter for a for a senator uh was one of his jobs and and then all of a sudden um he told we we were moving to Nashville, Tennessee, and dad was going to be uh, vice president of a college. And, and, and one of his big things was he was in charge of um, foreign students. And, um, you know, this, you know, like I say, I was eight, nine, something like that. And uh, we were there for a couple of years, not, not for the complete school year, the second time. And uh, the, the president of the college quit. They asked my dad to be president, and he said no, and moved the whole family out to uh, Eugene, Oregon. And what he told me later on was that he had left the CIA uh, soft in 57, which was when we moved from Virginia to Tennessee. And then he said, and he left it hard in in 59, which was when we moved from uh, Tennessee to Oregon. And... uh, then he said that, you know, he was talking to me then in 69 because he had signed a piece of paper that said he couldn't talk for 10 years. And, you know, I, I thought about it later on. I mean, I, I didn't believe my dad, you know, I mean, he, he could have told, you know, these things and, you know, uh, who, who would have who believed him, you know, because, I mean, he, he told me they were playing out a lose scenario in Vietnam and, you know, it, did, it, it didn't compute. Okay, so I just, you know, I said, okay, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, he he gave me more information than than I could comprehend at all. You know, I mean, I was just, and and so, and I was, you know, uh, I was, shoot, I was 20 years old and had a record store putting on rock and roll dances and, you know, having a good time. So I just, you know, kept on, kept on doing that. And, you know, but, you know, this conversation, you know, is kind of, I would, you know, I'd think about it now and then. And, and uh, then I was reading a, uh, uh, I believe it was a gallery magazine, because at that time, uh, you know, I would get the Playboy and the Penthouse and the other magazines and, and cause there was a lot of good articles in there. And, uh, uh there was, you know, articles about the JFK assassination, and, and there started to be these articles about uh, this subject, which I was starting to sud- study, which I called CIA drugs. So, you know, I, I was reading this uh, uh, in this uh, gallery about, uh, it was an article about the JFK assassination, and they were talking about, uh, you know, well, there's people that, you know, they talk about involvement in the, the Central Intelligence Agency, the mafia, and, you know, different groups. And then there was kind of a throwaway line that says, and some people talk about the involvement of secret societies. 
And that really brought back that the whole conversation and really made me say, wow, what did, what, what was it that my dad, <laughs> my dad told me, you know, because it just, it, it didn't make any sense at all. And so I started to uh, research it and look into it. And then I, 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 I was talking to uh, some friend of mine and I was telling him a little bit about what my dad told me and what my research was finding. And I said, uh, uh, and he called me a conspiracy theorist. So, so then I, uh, this, this, this was like in the early 70s. And I says, well, what's a conspiracy theorist? And so I, I had already uh, done an independent study on magic and mysticism, because when I was in high school, I ran across Edgar Cayce and, and Aleister Crowley, and I thought they were very interesting people, and so I uh, uh, read most everything I could uh, put my hands on about them and, and studied uh, other things, and then, so I decided to take on conspiracy theory as an independent study, and so I like books, so I, I went to all the bookstores I could find, and and, and um, every bookstore had at least one, uh, you know, I, I'd go into the bookstore and say, take me to your conspiracy section. And they all at least had one book. So I'd start reading these books and, and you know, they're, I guess, what you would call screeds. And, you know, I, I started reading these books and I says, well, wait a minute, I, because I'd find a book that, you know, blamed it all on the Jews. I find another book that blamed it all on the Masons, find another book that blamed it all on the secular humanists, another book that blamed it all on the Mormons, you know. And, and and so I say, well, gosh, these are kind of like formula books, you know, designed to to put people into camps. You know, I don't like you, and I don't like you, and blah 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 blah. And so, uh, I, you know, I'm continuing to do uh, research, and I'm, uh, um, you know, I, I can find some books about uh, drug smuggling a little bit, and and other things, and and about opium trade and I'm you know pretty soon into old dusty books about banking and 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 stuff like that and and the hardest thing for me to find is uh, books about the secret societies and and so and I, I find a couple and but then in um, 1986 I believe it was um, I came across Anthony Sutton's book, America's Secret Establishment. Okay. And actually, no, it was 1988 because he produced it in 1986. And um, it was the George Bush, I believe, was running for president and stuff. And so it, it, somebody was talking about it somewhere and I, I ran across it and I said, oh, oh, oh. I mean, it, it, it you know, because I, I just. Yeah, and communism, all the sham, these same secret societies, it's all a big, it, you know, it just didn't, didn't compute, didn't compute, didn't compute, didn't make any sense. And so I read Anthony's book and I says, oh, oh, this, this makes some sense. Okay. So I, I tried to get a hold of Anthony. I wrote to the, it was Liberty House in, in Montana was, was publishing and never heard back from him or anything. And I just, you know, continued to do uh, research and started to do uh, some writing on it, on, on Skull and Bones. And I, I, you know, started thinking, well, I'm, I mean, what do I know? I'm, you know, I, I started writing articles and, and 
start sending them off to magazines and, and you know, start contacting uh, publishers to see if somebody wants to, you know, do a book about Skull and Bones. And, and I only get um, one letter back from publishers, and that's from uh, Feral House. It, it, they'd done some really, you know, uh, wild books, you know, about Satanism, all kinds of other things and different things. And I said, well, you know, and, and I get a letter back from them, from Adam Parfait, and, and he says, well, I don't think we're ready to take on Skull and Bones, which just really blew me away because of, of the books that they had already already done. And um, so then it start, I start thinking, well, maybe I have to do something myself. And But I'm still, I'm working on some magazine articles, and I, I send them off, and I finally... Um, uh, sends them off to High Times, and at High Times actually publishes two of my articles on on Skull and Bones, and um, uh, so I uh, start working with them a little bit, and and uh, then uh, the internet has also come along, and I I uh, post my stuff up on online, and and there's a uh, AOL Green, something it's called Periscope, and uh, they see my article, and they uh, and one of the guys who's involved with that is local, and and they contact me and they put it up there, and and you know it many many years in the early part of the internet, if you uh, Google George W. Bush, uh, my article was. Uh, number one for, for many, many years. And, and there was scuttlebutt. Well, how can George W. become president? He's skull and bones and blah, 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 blah. Then they kind of reconstituted Google and, you know, it <laughs> it went way down the line. But um, so uh, I, uh, uh, Anthony, Anthony Sutton sends me an email. And I say, wow, good, great. And so we, we start communicating uh, through email. And I, I'm, at that time, I'm still, I, I'm, I'm working too. I'm a, uh, uh, sometimes a, a salesman out on the road and I, I, I travel a bunch. I've been selling uh, pre-recorded videos and, and, and different things. And I, I, I find it, uh, Anthony's living in Reno and I'm, going through Reno, you know, every couple of months. And I say, Anthony, I'd like to, you know, it, it takes me about almost two years, I think, to, to finally to uh, uh, get Anthony to say, okay, we'll, we'll meet, you know, we can, we can. And so we met and we became really, really good friends. And then, um, oh, uh, Daniel Hopsicker, in between this time, I'm running an email list called CIA Drugs, and, and Daniel's on there, and he's uh, commiserating that he had a book in uh, uh, in New York with an agent. It had been there for two years, and nobody was going to publish it. And I finally hear that a bunch, and I say, well, I I've got a computer on my desk. They tell me I can make a book, you know, and so come on out, Daniel, and make a book. So I helped him make Barry and the Boys. And then uh, Anthony uh, contacted me and said that uh, his book, America's Secret Establishment, was going out of print. And I says, Anthony, that can't happen. It's never been in hardback. It's never been in libraries. 
And so I went out and bought $5,000 and started a publishing company, little knowing what I'm doing. <laughs> a lot more in debt than 5,000 these days. And so um, it, uh, it's, it's been very, very interesting because as soon as I, uh, I started publishing, all of a sudden, because there'd been a whole bunch of books that were circling New York that uh, they wouldn't publish, like Peter Lavinda's work and, and stuff like that. And, and so, I mean, uh, people just started, you know, say, here, here, here's, here's, here's some books, you know, and, and it, it's been very interesting and with, with Hank Alberelli's um, book, um, A Terrible Mistake about uh, oh, Frank Olson and, and uh, the CIA's use of, of LSD and different things. I mean, you know, we got uh, uh, conversations with, with 60 Minutes, you know, and they say, oh, well, you know, um, we don't want to say anything bad about America, blah, 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 but it's a very good book, you know, sequester that we don't want you to show it to anybody, blah, 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 you know, and uh, very, very interesting. I mean, um, at one point in time, somebody gave me a little money to, to spend on, on publicity, and so I, I did, and I, I found that I could go from being completely ignored to being uh, politely ignored, you, you might say. And, you know, I mean, I had people in, in, in Hollywood try and make movies out of, out of several of our books, and, and they were uh, stopped uh, rather interestingly, and, and the last one was, was stopped very, very harshly. And I mean, and I get calls, I don't know, have you seen our book, Dr. Mary's Monkey? Yeah, absolutely. I actually have uh, David Ferry, which kind of gets into a little bit of that story, not completely, but I have uh, the, the book, David Ferry. But tell me more about, about that. I know they were going to make it into a movie and, and that never happened, right? Right. Well, I mean, it, it, I mean, it, is it cinematic? I mean, <laughs> yeah. is there is is there a story there that would you know um uh, you know but it, in, in Dr. Mary's Monkey I mean we actually got it, it wasn't so much the the JFK assassination uh, because there's so much mud around that it it was about the the medical uh the medical part is, is really what the the pushback uh was on that and so it, it's just been uh you know very interesting and and and, you know, we, we've been going through some very, let's say, interesting times. I mean, is there, is there a few conspiracy theories out there uh, these days, you know? And, yeah. you know, and, and the, the, you know, one of the first things I learned when researching conspiracy theories is that a conspiracy theory doesn't have to be true to be effective in, you know, making people, you know, think or, or, or do particular things. And we've had quite a, uh, you know, I've had so many people mad at me saying, you know, why aren't you on behind Q? I mean, you know, now is the time and blah, 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 blah. Well, it's not true. You know, I mean, it, it, and, and I, you know, yeah, I mean, I know people that made, you know, oodles, oodles, oodles of money off of off of Q selling selling uh, people that stuff. So, uh, yeah, 
That, you asked how I uh, got into it. That's how <laughs> I got into it, through my daddy. Yeah, okay. well, I mean, the name of the show is My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, and I think in your cl- your case, uh, it might be called My Dad is Crazy, or at least I think <laughs> my dad is crazy, right? I mean, your dad seems to have been kind of conscious, though, of his position as a... Uh, you know, involved with this really, really heavy stuff. I mean, obviously kind of withdrew from that. Like you said, he had a soft quit and then a hard quit and, uh, and spent the rest of his life kind of away from that. Do you think your dad realized um, the weight of the situation he was in and decided to withdraw from it? Do you think he feared his life or, or his family's life? Well, I think he, he, he tried to do what he thought was right and proper, okay? And, and basically, uh, he went there in, in 56 when he went to um, Vietnam, he met with Lansdale. And he, and he wrote a report, and Lansdale was recalled and, and, and came back to Vietnam um, to the United States. And, you know, I, I just think that there see my dad he, he was he was raised out out west okay so he wasn't part of the ivy league uh type people that a lot of the the cia was he was a, a little bit different i mean um and so that was one of the reasons why uh he got chosen i believe to 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 basically lays with uh sukarno in indonesia because he was a bit more um, liberal uh, and, and, and stuff. And um, so I, I really don't know exactly all what he knew. I mean, the, the fact that he never told me about Skull and Bones. He only, he only said, you know, secret society. Okay, so, so uh, what he knew, I, I, I don't know. But, you know, I mean, you think about, you know, any large organization, okay, I mean, um, you've got uh, people there that are doing their job and you maybe got people that have uh, other agendas from, you know, how I look at it because of my daddy, I I looked at there's a secret society level that's up there. And then there's our government down here. Okay. And they can go into different places and, and, you know, screw with it and, and, you know, and and, and play with it. So I, I, you know, and I do know from my research that um, naval intelligence, okay, uh, was given an aegis to go off the reservation and look back in, okay, starting in the 30s, because they knew something hinky, you know, there was something hinky going on, you know, and so, uh, but, you know, when the main people doing the hinky stuff, or, you know, Dulles, and, you know, the people that are in charge, uh, the people down below, you know, they're maybe going to, some of them are going to talk to each other, you know, and, and say, well, you know, what's going on here? What, you know, what's going on here? But, um, and, and at that point in time, you know, in the 50s, 60s, and, and, and 70s, I mean, the power of these secret societies was very, very, very strong. Okay. I mean, you, 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 this was before Watergate. I mean, Watergate, um, you know, created a huge big changes in the federal government where, you know, the inspector general's uh, things happened, you know, all these different lawyers were, were put in there to, to say, hey, you know, 
if you're going to do something, you better do it legally. And, you know, because before they were doing it very, you know, uh, very cowboying it, you know, and stuff. So, and, and then, and then, you know, my dad got involved, you know, during the war. Okay. So, you know, and during the war, you have a lot more, um, oh, looseness, you might say in the plan, in, in the plans, you know, and stuff. And, and so, uh, he, he was able to denote some things there, but uh, as to actually everything he knew, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, one of the saddest things for me is that, you see, I, I, I ran across uh, America's Secret Establishment in late 1988, and my dad died very early 1990, and um, he'd been ill for, for many, many years with, with Parkinson's taking some very, very heavy drugs that, you know, affected both his, his motor skills and his, his thinking and stuff like that. And then he, he died early 1990 with uh, um, pancreatic cancer. So I, I never really got to ask my dad, you know, the questions that I, that I would have liked to a- ask. And I mean, I, you know, after he died, uh, I, you know, I was able to go through his papers and, those, uh, you know, brought in some very, very interesting questions, especially that, that trip in, in, in 56 in Vietnam, because, uh, you know, what I determined there in that trip was, you know, because what my daddy said, he says, you know, that there more is about drugs. It, and it absolutely was, because when he met Lansdale, um, uh, you know, like I say, after I read his um, as papers, I was able to go ask my mom some questions. And at that point in time, I was really um, doing a lot of research about the, the heroin trade. And I was really interested in Chiang Mai, Thailand, because it's, it's, a, it's a heroin city. It's, it's got a four-lane highway up to the Golden Triangle, and all the big banks have uh, banks there and everything. And I'd been told that in my lifetime, it had been a, a small little village, and now it was the second largest city in, in Thailand. So I, I was having trouble finding out that information. I see my dad had been there, you know, when I go through his papers, he'd been there in 56. So I asked my mom, and uh, I said, Mom, uh, you know, how big was Chiang Mai in 56 when you were there? And she says, well, it wasn't very big. Biggest thing in town was a church. I've got a picture of it. And she's sitting on the couch and her bookcase is right next to her. And I'm reaching up to get the picture book. And, and she says, and that's when uh, I stopped believing everything I, I read in the newspaper, my mother said. And this really uh, picked up my ear because uh, uh, I'd asked her questions before. And she, she I don't know anything. She, she, didn't, she didn't know anything. And I said, well, what, what do you mean, mom? And she says, well, they'd been in Vietnam and they'd gone from Vietnam to uh, Thailand, to Bangkok and then to Chiang Mai. And she said the big story in the newspaper in Bangkok and and Chiang Mai was about this battle, big battle in Vietnam, uh, right where they had been. And she says, there there was no battle. We were having a picnic. And and I do, I I turn the picture book back and, and there's some pictures of my dad talking to Lansdale. And then there's this beautiful picture of my mother uh, and she's just vivacious and and uh, uh, out to the side of this picture, it says uh, Eudora, because that was her name, Eudora, out from Saigon with 
uh, uh, Colonel uh, Lansdale and North Vietnamese military leaders. And uh, so they had a picnic, told the world they were having a battle. Okay, why do you, you know, why do you do that? You harden the sides, you know, pretty, pretty soon, you know, you got actual people shooting at each other, okay? And then you take American boys and girls, Canadian boys and girls, Australian boys and girls, New Zealand boys and girls, Korean boys, you know, and, and send them to hell for one year only. I mean, this was a different kind of war. World War II, you, you signed up, you went off to war, right? Okay. Vietnam War, you only went there for one year, okay? If you survived your year, you got to go back home and go to the sock ops and whatnot, okay? So some of those kids got addicted to the heroin that was being proffered to them by anybody who was 12 years and up, okay? And after one year, they're junkies and they're sent home, okay? Now, as, as the research shows, you know, not not all not everybody gets addicted really bad, but quite a few people do. And what does a junkie do? A junkie sells junk. Okay, why? 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 Well, because like my daddy said, they're out to opiate my whole generation, the whole boomer generation. Okay, but you see, it, it didn't it didn't work completely. Okay, because um, they'd done it before. There's a great book called Generations, A History of America's Future. It shows the dynamics of, uh, we have a, a civics, an idealistic, an active, and a reactive generation that, that go through history and to, to move us forward. And in the 1860s, the kids that were teens and preteens in the 1860s, that generation didn't cohere. It didn't come together. Some of them joined the generation after, some of them joined the generation before. And this was a civics component of that four generation uh, cohorts. And so, um, and, and why did that happen? Assassination of a president, war, and opium, okay? And because we didn't have that civics generation, we were like a, three, a four cycle engine running on three cycles, okay? It made us more susceptible to these things coming out from the side, from the shadows, okay? Yeah. And, and so is, they were able to move us into being an empire. Yeah. And through the Spanish-American War, and the, the big result, I mean, it's a big, long story, but the big result of the Spanish-American War was that William Howard Taft, uh, the son of the founder of the Order of Skull and Bones, of one of the co-founders, um, made opium illegal for the first time in modern Asia, because after the second opium uh, war, it was completely legal. Well, why do you make it illegal? Because then you need smugglers. Okay. Because then the smug and, and why the prohibitions that we have, have nothing to do with our health or community or our children. They have to do with keeping in place a black market, which allows people in the shadows to sell plants for sometimes more than gold. Okay. Which creates huge, big, slush funds, which allows them to take over the rest here, you know, and here is the Leviathan, how the secret societies control the world. Okay. The, the top level is mining, metal and money. Okay. And it, it was driven home to me very hard when I looked at the, the, the jobs that the people in Skull and Bones had, there was a lot of mining engineers and people that own mining companies and they would, you know, 
if you look at George H.W. Bush, he spent a lot of time gathering gathering that stuff in. And, and I had an author that could affect that. I got his book out. He got run over by a hit and run lorry in, in seven days. Okay. The middle level is drugs, guns, and oil. Okay. And it's a very active level. Uh, they use war to, you know, to, to get to, to change things. Okay. To, to, to get their way. And then where this meets the road is media, movies slash music, because they've got to control the culture or it'll bite them. And then quote unquote magic. The ability to use, uh, you know, the ability to hoodwink us and the, their preponderance on using mass trauma uh, to, to, to scare the, the heck out of us. And I, I truly think that we can flip this whole script, okay? And, and now is the time to do it. We're, we're in a transitional period. Um, and um, we can have, you know, I mean... When, when you look at these secret societies and, and, and different, you know, uh, people, you know, what is their, their main objective? What, what is it that they're trying to do? Okay. Well, they're trying to control things. And one of the things that they don't like, or one of the, that they can't control very well is a, is our Republic. Okay. Which, you know, uh, our founding fathers didn't come out of nowhere, okay? They came out of a long struggle against, you know, people, you know, being able to run their own lives and not having, you know, kings and whatnot say, okay, you guys are my subject, you know, you do this, blah, 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 okay? And actually, you know, having an egalitarian and, and having, you know, an honest, real, you know, relationship, real society. You know, and, and I mean, it, it, it is possible. It is possible for us, you know, I mean, uh, to 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 live together in, in, in peace, I think, you know, I, I don't think uh, we need to, um, you know, continually run around with with guns to, to make people do things, you know, I, I, I and, 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 you know, so I don't, I'm very hopeful uh, for the future. I, I really think that, you know, the internet ha is, is allowing conversations like this, you know, I mean, I, I got, a, you know, after I, I put out, you know, fleshing out skull and bones, I, I got on Fox news, you know, I, <laughs> they said I'd be on for about, uh, uh 10 minutes. It <laughs> wasn't that long. As soon as I mentioned drug running, uh, they said drugs, uh, and, oh, well, we're out of time. Goodbye. <laughs> and you know, and they and they wow. they didn't let me back on, uh, you know. So, yeah. Well, I would say that you know, with your podcast, for those who don't know, it's called Trine Day: A Journey, right? And mm -hmm. um, it's an excellent podcast. I think the beauty in it is that you're doing just that. You're bringing this information out to people who take in this information in the podcasting form and podcasts are, are really kind of a revolution right now. You know, they're sweeping uh, this kind of entertainment. I don't, I don't want to call it entertainment because I think it's more educational, but how is that uh, helped out with your publishing company? Have you seen the uh, results of this after, you know, going out? Cause I know you said the publicity 
people were not exactly helpful. Do you think that doing it on your own and starting your own podcast is uh, has been beneficial so far? Yeah, yes, yes, and and I mean the uh, the the whole we'd all, we'd always like to see change happen faster than it does. Okay, but <laughs> I've seen a lot of change. I've seen a lot of change in my life. I mean, you know, when I when I was a little kid. Um, uh, like in, 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 in churches, you know, women, women couldn't talk in church, basically, you know, they could, they could, uh, you know, just, just men could preach and tell you, tell you what to do, you know, and, and, uh, uh, you know, where I was in the South, uh, you know, uh, black people were, were treated, uh, terribly, you know, and, um, just uh, you know i just i just see a lot of a lot of a lot of good change i mean and, and yeah the podcasts are are you know we're we're creating our own media you know so that so that we can communicate because you know if you look i'm a big fan of, of the trivium okay which is uh, the basic education uh that was that was taught and part of that is uh, was known as a, was known as a dialectic um dialogue okay basically says here's a problem okay how do we fix it well we talk about it we talk we talk through it we say well this blah 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 and and that's how that's how you know we 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 can solve things so yes the um uh, uh, it, it's well, you know, they say if you want something done, give it to a busy man. I'm awful busy, and and it's made my <laughs> life busier. But uh, it, it's good. I, I enjoy it because it is a journey, and I mean, and, and I've been so lucky in that I had my daddy tell me some of this stuff, and I didn't believe him. And that was, you know, uh, Lord have mercy, uh, forty years ago or fifty years ago. You know, and so I've had a long time to look at these questions and, and you know, and, 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 you know, go down some blind alleys and blah, because you have to go down some blind alleys to, to, to figure out what, what's going on. Because, you know, I mean, everybody has a, has a different experience with life. And um, but I, I, I'm very hopeful because, you know, uh, we, we have to take this journey. We have to understand what has happened, what, 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 and, and what, uh, you know, what the future can mean, you know, what, 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 what the future can mean to our children. I mean, you know, when I first got into this, uh, you know, there was very few people I could talk to. Okay. And, and if I brought it up, you know, uh, people thought I was, you know, completely nuts, you know, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist, you know, and I'm going to, I don't even want to walk on the same side of the street where you're, you know, blah, 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 you're, <laughs> and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, I just, uh, when we can, you know, hopefully understand some, uh, understand what, what's been going on. Absolutely. Yeah, I think Bruce DeTorris and you do a fantastic job of getting really interesting people on the show. I mean, uh, Daniel Hopsicker, I just listened to the most recent episode with him and his book, Barry and the Boys, got into all the things going on with Barry Seal down in Mena, Arkansas, right, which was, uh, you know, as we've heard, 
50th in the state, you know, 50th in the country for everything, right? So, of course, they're going to run it through Arkansas where, you know, things aren't really on the up and up anyways. But, yeah, you see it in cities everywhere. Drugs have infiltrated poor communities. And what do those people end up doing? They end up becoming dependent on the state through social programs. They end up with disenfranchised homes, single fathers, single mothers. And uh, really, it leaves people dealing with these problems on a whole other level, while the upper class seems to have a golden road to, you know, retirement and a silver spoon in their mouth the whole way, you know, and I can see the contrast as someone who's not too far away from Skull and Bones, you know, only two, three blocks away from their fancy university campus is a terrible neighborhood. I mean, a neighborhood in 2015 was in the top 10 worst neighborhoods in the whole country as as far as violence is concerned. So these people are not stand up people. They're not taking care of their, their backyards even. So, yeah, I mean, to me, the, uh, the contrast is very evident when you look at a university like that, the type of people who are going in, the type of selection that it takes to get these people in the skull and bones, and then the the blackmail that goes on to keep them subservient to the agenda, you know. Uh, the two books that you mentioned, Fleshing Out Skull and Bones and America's Secret Establishment, I mean, those are definitely pivotal. Some other books that I really love uh, are Lieber 420 was another great book uh, from Chris Bennett. And I think that that is another component because, you know, drugs obviously are being used to manipulate us like opium and cocaine, methamphetamines. Those are obviously more dangerous drugs. But what are your thoughts on on drugs like cannabis, LSD, mushrooms? Because it seems to me like they tried to use LSD to kind of opiate us, but it didn't really work out. You know, we ended up kind of cracking the the shell and and, and experiencing another dimension instead. Right, right. Well, there's there's uh, there's a bunch of karmic things going on here. Okay, I mean, uh, when they first uh, you know made cannabis marijuana illegal, they didn't make it illegal. Okay, they put a hundred dollar tax on each ounce. Okay, they, because at that point in time we weren't that dumbed down that uh, you know what do you mean you're making a plant illegal? Okay, <laughs> we're we're in the constitution. I mean, you know. I, I'm a hippie, okay? I've smoked some pot. I like pot, okay? I used to get busted. I would walk every time, okay? I got got some friends of mine to walk. I'd give them this piece of paper. I'd say, here, you take this and give it it to the judge, okay? And, you know, I mean, one time, you know, I I got up to, you know, the top floor of the, the... a lot about lawyering is you just have to show up all the time. You know, you show up and you... I finally show up through this... uh, you get to the top judge up on the third floor and he looks at me and he says, well, kid, we know you aren't guilty of being stupid. Get out of here. <laughs> okay? Because I would tell him, I'd say, okay, you say that I can't possess this, this little baggie with this uh, marijuana in it. Okay. I said, well, I don't deny that I possess that baggie with marijuana in it. You show me where you have the authority over a plant that comes from God. And, and you know, they, they couldn't do it. Okay. So, uh, because he, it, it didn't become illegal to possess until Leary got busted on the border, okay, federally, okay? So, now your question about LSD. 
Yeah, LSD can be can be used to disrupt, okay, but it cannot be used to control, okay, because you give somebody LSD and, and everybody's different, you know, I mean, some people go off and, you know, they start wearing sheets, you know, and, you know, doing, doing whatever. So it's, it, it was, it was a problem to him. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I was a friend of Dave McGowan and I would talk to him quite, quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I agreed with him on some things and, and some things I didn't agree with him. And, and, uh, you know, and I, I'm a musician too, you know, and I, I play music. I, I know where, where music comes from. Okay. And, 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 and what music does. Okay. So, um, yeah, the, the, you know, I, I look at it more like, well, the mad scientist tried to do something. Okay. And his creation turned on him. Okay. And just, you know, because again, uh, going back to that, uh, you know, the, the uh, generation in the 1860s that didn't go here. Okay. And, and so because of that, these people on the shadows were able to get more control. Okay. So they said, Hmm, that's a good thing. We're going to, we're going to try and do that again. So they did the, the people that were teens and preteens in 1960s. Okay. were the boomer generation were targeted by these guys to opiate our whole generation. And we were supposed to be a pieced out, drugged out generation. We weren't supposed to cohere. Okay. But we did cohere. We cohered as hippies around a joint being smoked around a circle with a little bit of LSD thrown in. Okay. Because, you know, uh, there's, there is intelligence in, in, in generations and, and, in, in, you know, and so we, you know, we, we saw drugs, war, the killing of the president. So we jumped aside and created a counterculture, okay, which still survives to this day, okay, and um, uh, so that, that's that's the dynamic which is going on. I, I did one uh, uh, interview, and somebody called me up later. He says, well, I like that. He says, you know, they, uh, they, they gave us uh, MKUltra, and, and we gave them um, Microsoft and Apple, Okay, and, 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 and really, that, because uh, they did a big, you know, history did a big two hour special on the hippies. And they says, you know, what came out of the hippies? And he says, well, the personal computer and the Internet. Okay, and those are the tools that we all together are using to fight this corruption, because that's it's corruption. It's people using secrecy to lie, cheat and steal. Okay, and that's what it is. And now, you, you mentioned New Haven. Haven. <laughs> I remember the first, I, I took Daniel Hopsicker there one time because he, he, he we, we had to go to New York to talk to some uh, people about uh, uh, Barry and the boys. And it was funny. We, we raised a little bit of money and, and uh, talked to a publicist there. And we put a check down on the table. Publicist looked at us and says, well, sorry guys, just push the check back wouldn't work on it you know so but uh, so i i took uh, daniel up there because he was always very skeptical about skull and bones and everything so i took him there and and you know once you see that real estate those buildings <laughs> you say oh wow 
And then, you know, later on in his, his research, he, he, he found that, you know, gosh, a bunch of these people way up that are owning some of these planes and whatnot, they, they're from Skull and Bones, you know? And then, you know, it's very funny, the Skull and Bones um, during the, the 70s and 80s, you know, besides uh, Fred Smith, uh, who is the CEO of FedEx, okay? Uh, they also own, they were the presidents of uh, Bonanza and, and Piper Club, you know, uh, those, those, those air, airline things, you know. So, and, and you know, the main re- way they're bringing in drugs these days, and one of the main ways? Tell us. O- oil pipelines. Oh, yeah. Oil pipelines, you know, because you've got those pigs in there to clean them. And then, you know, I mean, what does an oil pipeline do? Does it just put oil in at, at one end and it comes out the other end on, on spigots? You know, well, you know, they've got to deliver, you know, certain things to certain places. I mean, they got to know what's in there, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, I got a call from a, a fellow who was um, involved with the Mexican mafia. And he told me this story about how these people from Brazil had had come to them and says, yeah, we're building this pipeline. And, and because these guys had a valley in Mexico, well, there's a couple of them that they've been growing opium poppies for well over a hundred years. And he, yeah, they wanted this pipeline to, you know, to, to come up and go back down at a little shack right there in our valley, you know? And uh, because, you know, think about it. Uh, officially, they say that there's a million to a million two junkies in the United States. I think there's a few more. Okay. At a million to a million two, that's a ton, a ton a day that has to be broken down. And, you know, I mean, yeah, there's, there's some people that might buy it a month at a time. There's a few people that buy it a week at a time, a few people that buy it three days at a time, but the majority of them buy it daily, you know? So, I mean, it, it, and, and, Officially, according to official statistics, uh, Russia, you know, 5% of their population is daily opium, uh, daily opiate intake. Okay. Uh, The largest uh, percentage population is Iran. 10% of their population is daily opiate intake. It's, it's there. It's even in the, in the elite, they they have uh, opium dens in, in some of their rooms and still China has the largest number of people that are daily opiate uh, takers, um, but they aren't the largest percentage just because they got so many people. So, I mean, it's, it's a huge, huge business. And, you know, that's one reason why, you know, I worked very hard here in the United, in Oregon to make marijuana legal. Okay. And then we have now in Oregon, we have made, we have decriminalized all drugs. Okay. Because, as soon as you make it to a vice problem, all you got to do is pay off the vice cops, you know, and, and, and stuff like that. And so it, 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 it you know, so I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm hopeful for the future. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that uh, all of those are great points. I think the, the pipeline thing is very suspicious. I don't know if that has anything to do with the, with the South Dakota, North Dakota pipeline. Um, and I know that goes up from Canada, but who knows? 
Canada is pretty close to Russia. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, what was uh, we were talking earlier, you said that there was a gentleman who tried to pr- uh, publish a book on mining. I remember I heard you mention this on tinfoil hat. And unfortunately, seven days later, he uh, he came to a untimely death. Now, was that possibly the diciest book you've ever published? Or was there other books that you've published that have had the similar kind of dangerous feeling? Because I know, I mean, five books <laughs> that nobody wanted to publish, and then you come along and publish them. I mean, there must be a reason why nobody wanted to publish them. Well, they, they, they tried to stop me. And, you know, I had to go to uh, federal district court on, on uh, my third book, which was about, uh, or second, actually my second book, which was about Vietnam. And I thought it was just a silly little book. Um, and, and this was done through the uh, Special Forces Association. They'd already stopped a bunch of stories. Uh, they'd stopped a story on CNN. And basically they called... Uh, they got a hold of Kissinger and Kissinger called the president of CNN and they declare, and he went out and declared this story, uh, you know, false and blah, 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 blah. Well, which most many people don't know is the actual, uh, you know, the, the two producers on that story. And one was a talent actually sued CNN and won and still stand by the story today. And, um, you know, uh, and, and they try, and we, we had to go to court in federal district court in Charleston, South Carolina, and we won a, um, you know, unanimous verdict. Okay. And, you know, I mean, what, what are they going to be? One thing that these guys found out early on uh, in, in Europe, okay, uh, when people first started writing some books about the Illuminati and stuff, uh, they found out if they tried to ban them big time. All it did was explode it, okay? Because you know, and and you know that's a dynamic that's going on today. Well, people say, well, this was banned on Facebook. Must mean it's true, right? You know, because <laughs> these guys are don't want us to see it. You know, I mean, uh, that's a dynamic that, that that people use. You know, so uh, they found out that that if they really wanted to uh, stop something, if they really uh, what you do is you ignore it. You, you just ignore it. You don't say one word about it. You just ignore it. Okay. And so uh, they basically have, have taken that attack on me. And uh, uh, they, uh, they know that, you know, I'm, I'm a stubborn SOB and my mom was a nice lady. And, you know, I, I do have the uh, protection of the First Amendment of the United States. Okay. And, you know, if they if they want to come at me, it's gonna it's gonna create a lot more attention to what I'm doing, okay? And so uh, it they they pretty much just use the the ignore uh, thing, and then um, that's you know with this pandemic, okay? Uh, that was one thing that's very very interesting because the other thing that they've done is they they play mercantile games with me because you know I I don't got money. And so, um, and, and they would, uh, they tried it a couple times and I would make some noise about it and say, Hey, listen, guys, I can see what you're doing, blah, 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 blah. So they would stop for a while. And then, and they were mostly doing it through a, a, a distributor called Baker and Taylor, um, which used to be the, uh, a mom and pop, uh, uh, book distributor. And they declare themselves on some of the 
online to be the largest book distributor in the world. Well, it uh, was sold off to a guy who was a skull and bones flunky. And, um, and he was running it out of a uh, Chicago hedge fund and they would, you know, They'd order books. They, I mean, I remember one time uh, Bilderberg was first coming out and, uh, you know, I, I couldn't keep it in stock. They had 800 copies. Okay, they had 800 copies. And they're a sub-distributor. Most all bookstores have, you know, they're a jobber, you know, so you, you, you have an account with them. So you can get, you know, books either singly or, or whatnot. Oh, they didn't know what to do with it. So they would just, you know, return them to me. Okay. In, in two big shipments, which basically, you know, took money directly out of my pocket, uh, screwed up my cash flow and everything. Well, they were doing that. And they finally, uh, they got Amazon to be involved in this mercantile uh, uh, thing. I mean, last November, uh, uh, I don't know, it was, it was a pandemic and everything. It was is it a year ago. I don't know. It was, but they, they ordered just a whole bunch of books, you know, I mean, a large amount of books, which is, uh, that's good. I mean, great, great, great. But when I looked at these books, they ordered, they were older books. Okay. That, you know, don't even sell. I mean, some of them had, 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 had a minus three. Okay. Uh, on what it sold the whole year before, you know, I mean, and, you know, I mean, in publishing, yeah, you want to, you know, um, print a bunch of books and, and give them to the bookstores and have them put out there so that then the people come in, they can, they can see them. Right. You know, and, and you expect to, well, maybe all the ones that you put out there in the beginning might come back. I mean, that's part of the dynamics of selling books, but here, you know, these guys aren't taking new books. They're, they're taking old books that don't sell. Okay. And, and ordering, you know, boxes, boxes of, okay. And, and I, I call it my distributor and I say, what, what happened here? And they says, yeah, they, it, uh, we had to keep people um, over Thanksgiving vacation and everything. And, and, and they're shipping books. And, and, and uh, I says, well, you know, these are all going to come back. And they say, oh, well, uh, we think maybe Amazon's, they're opening all these other places around and they need these for stock. I said, oh, no, no, no. And sure enough, uh, you know, I, I, I set up myself a little Excel sheet so I can, you know, track it and everything. And, and they start returning them. And, and, and you know, I, and I'm getting really, you know, my, I, I don't know how I'm going to survive and, and, and everything like that. Because, you know, I can, I can work with cash flow. But when you get, you know, 20, 30,000, you know, you get big hits, you know, you, it, it, it destroys you. And they were about ready to do the coup de gras. Uh, you could just see it there in the, in the in, because they'd been returning them and returning them, and they about ready to do it. A, a, another big return, and all of a sudden the pandemic came across, and it stopped that. Okay. And the other thing that that happened was you had people home, right? Well, what what am I going to do? So I, and and because you know the normal way to sell books is well. You send them to the newspaper, to the TV, radio station, and, you know, you, you get a review and, and people read the review and then they run out and buy the books. Well, you know, I, I, I can't, I don't get reviews. And so um, my basic marketing philosophy is, well, I guess I need to get the book to somebody that's going to read it. And then hopefully 
you know, they'll tell their friends if they like it, they'll tell their friends because you know, at the end of the day, who gives a book or a record or a movie, whoever who gives it legs is the people, you know, I mean, you can spend all the money on hype you want. And if the people don't like it, <laughs> it ain't going to work. Right. So, so we had a lot of people at home. And uh, uh, so I got a lot more customers. Okay. So, so actually, you know, knock on wood, I, 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 I'm doing the best I've ever done. You know, wow. I, 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 I still got a pile of debt, you know, but, but, you know, it's uh, uh, so uh, that's another reason why I'm hopeful because it's, Oh, you, you got to get to, you know, a, a certain tipping level or, or whatnot, you know, of, 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 of the population. And then, Another thing, I don't know what this has to do with anything, but you know when they have those uh, jars of beans and they want people to guess how many there are? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Uh, you get highs and lows, but generally the mean average, what, what the people pick is is actually the right one, you know? So uh, I, I'm very hopeful for the future. I really think that that, that people can see what's going on. Okay, and, and like I say, uh, you know, people might go through some, uh, you know, go down some dark alleys and, and blind alleys and stuff. But I truly think that, you know, enough of a consensus is coming around that uh, and, and understanding of, you know, what has happened to us. Uh, and so I, I'm just very hopeful about the future. I'm just. I don't know why I keep going back to that, but I am. No, I, it's a beautiful way to end your, your statements. I mean, there's so much to jump off of because you're bringing so much wisdom to our podcast and we're grateful for that. I would say for the listener, please go to trinday.com. Uh, is that the uh, correct URL, right? Is it a that's .com? A, that's the correct URL. We've got so, well over a hundred books these days. And, yeah, yeah. I myself have Lieber 420, the Bilderberg Group, David Ferry, and of course, America's Secret Establishment. Fleshing out Skull and Bones, I actually got in my local library, Chris. So your work is making it to libraries. I will say, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could go so, so, you know, far with this. We'd love to have you back. I don't want to hold you for, for so any, any time. I've got a new book coming out called the history of the goddess okay. um, from, uh, from ice age to the Bible. All right. And it, it's just, it's just incredible. It, it's, it's really, really good. And I'm, yeah. I'm very excited about that. And then we've got uh just recently i've had a lot of different people uh contact me with with some new books and there's just a lot of really good information uh, yeah. i think coming out and uh onwards to the utmost of futures yeah i'll tell you what i mean as someone who walks around new haven the symbolism is thick even the courthouse has uh has a depiction of of the old you know concubine boys with the emperor you know sitting at the throne and you know young naked boys just right there out in the street nobody's none the wiser the damn so casual yeah the damn park is uh the sidewalks are shaped like a, a septogram but hey you know nobody takes a look at the bird's eye view uh, you know so the symbolism is out there chris i mean we can go on for forever Knights you, of columbus is, is headquartered in new haven too and was, was yeah. started yeah 
Yeah, now, and- I was told Knights of Columbus isn't anything to wa- uh, bat an eye at. Is there something we should know about Knights of Columbus? Because I, I would say the Columbus name is not exactly any, a good any, one. Any organization can be used. Yeah. Any, any, any or and, and 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 are used. And now another thing about New Haven, you know where uh, Berzelius is. Yeah. You know, it's it's at uh, it's at the there's that triangle, and then there's that that road that goes just straight. Yep. Okay. And it go it goes straight right to uh, uh, what's his name's workshop, um, Whitney's Whitney's yeah, workshop. Whitney. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because see, Skull and Bones is is basically the Cabot family. It's built around the Cabot family, where where the Whitney's are a big a big strong subset of that. Is Cabot the, the the dairy company? Is that the same uh, people that make cheese and whatnot? Cabot. C A B O T. No, no, the, the guys in Boston. Okay. Yeah, the, the 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 guys in Boston. Okay. Didn't mean to to hit you with a digression there, but yeah, I mean, it, like I said, there's so much we can go for. I usually let let my uh, three co-hosts here ask the the last question. Whoever wants to volunteer i think uh, my question should be saved for the next uh podcast <laughs> honestly all right kind of right. i think i think he, uh chris's answer would be kind of lengthy <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i i think when you look up these uh conspiracies not to circle back but like uh a big one i saw was like the cia's actual influence in kind of producing like a counter counter culture uh, but I would love to talk more about that, you know, fully. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, Let me late... say this just real quick, okay? Um, I was a good friend of Ken Kesey's out here, okay? And and there was, you know, they, they're always trying to recreate the bus trip. They're always trying to recreate the bus trip. And so uh, they had it all done with, they, they had the, the dead, the airplane, Quicksilver and everything. And they, they'd worked out everything. They were all ready to go. They were at the... Uh, uh, parking lot in in the morning ready ready to take off and it, it was sponsored by warner brothers who was owned by kinney corporation that's not kinney shoes it's kinney parking garages out of new york city which is basically the mop and they uh it, it got down to uh the dead and and the other big bands the only way they would do it was with keezy uh, being the ringmaster mm. uh, uh kinney they wouldn't they wouldn't allow that they wouldn't allow that they says no 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 so all those bands pulled out and it ended up being the stone ground tour and uh, they they used wavy gravy so like i say lsd can be used to to disrupt but it can't be used to control and and we basically you know overran we we basically overran any plans that they had for us Okay. Yeah, I love that answer. <laughs> Mikey, you got a question uh, for for Chris? Um, I mean, I'm just digesting it all. I don't have anything that's you know like like a pressing question or anything. But that's fine. We'll save I it can for next time. Definitely Chris? say I appreciate you saying everything you said today, Chris. All right. Mikey appreciates the truth bombs. Flavio. No, I'm all set here. 
All right. This has been a great episode, Chris. Thank you for joining us on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Please go to trinday.com and uh, check out all the amazing authors and the amazing titles that you can find there. I mean, can people support uh, you directly through the website and they can buy the book directly there? Is that what you recommend? Yes, they can buy them directly there. Amazon, I don't don't care where they get them. All right. Fantastic. Well, thanks for listening, folks. Mark is bananas. Okay, this guy's losing his mind. Don't listen to him. Follow us on Patreon.com slash MFTIC. That's patreon.com slash MFTIC.